This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello out there. It is I, Chris Bolton, your host, recording this from my two-year-old son's bedroom because when he's not in it, it's the quietest room in the house. This interview you're about to hear is amazing, and it's in two parts, so make sure you listen to both. I was really fortunate to interview two accomplished producers who have spent their entire professional careers making sure that all the stuff gets done, and when it gets done, it gets done on time. Alita Fullen-Wider and Krista Ariaga-Volker are both producers, aka project managers, at a digital agency here in Portland. We don't mention the name of the agency because most of what they talk about is mostly agency agnostic, though if you hit them up on Twitter or LinkedIn or something, I'm sure they'd be glad to tell you. Anyway, I'm really excited about this episode. It's really a step-by-step journey from client acquisition all the way through the project launch and reflection on the project. Um, I'm very grateful to Krista and Aletta for doing this deep dive. Whether your project management process is new or time-tested, I guarantee you, you will find some useful insights in this podcast. Oh, and one thing before I start, I added an email newsletter sign-up at creativeagencypodcast.com, so you can get updated every so often on what's going on with the podcast. I promise not to spam you. I'll probably send something out every few months, nothing crazy. Anyway, let's jump right into part one. Hello out there, I'm here at Murmur Creative with two kick-ass project managers, Krista Volker and Alita Fullenweider, to talk about managing interactive projects. Welcome to the Creative Agency Podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. Of course. Now, you guys both work at a creative agency here in town, and uh, let's talk a little bit about your backgrounds. Um, Maybe start off with Krista. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to joke around and tell people that I've been managing people and projects since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, um, and that I gave myself a deadline for walking, um, which is totally not true, but it's still (laughs) fun to expand on. Um, So I have a unique background in, in terms of back home in California. I was in events, in the event industry, so I'm very logistic focused. And then I moved up here to Portland and the event industry is is different. So I thought, how could I make a pivot and change to something that I'm passionate about that could scale? So I went to digital projects. And so I've been up here now for five years looking after clients and giving them some TLC, uh, such as the Home Depot, Stanford University, Adidas, OHSU Foundation. Um, And I love working on complicated projects and creating harmony from chaos. Nice. Yeah. Um, How about you, Alita? So my background is a little bit more technical. Um, So I've worked on a lot of digital projects, um, uh, mobile applications, websites, banner ads, uh, a lot of of email campaigns. And like most project managers, I love spreadsheets. I love schedules. Um, You know, I love telling perfect strangers what to do, you know, providing unsolicited (laughs) advice about how they could do something better, whether it's bagging groceries, you know, going to a buffet, you know, organizing a trip. You know, I love to get that type of feedback, whether it's wanted or not. (laughs) That's great. That that actually leads to one of my first questions is, um, what what would you say the skills are for um, being a project manager, the traits that a project manager usually has? Uh, you have to be flexible uh, and have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. 
and also be willing to bribe people to do what you want them to do, you know, with whether it's alcohol, sugar, favors, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever you need to do. This is true. Um, when I first met Alita, this is like one of my favorite stories I'll always remember for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> we asked her in the interview process, uh, you know, what it is you do to motivate your team. And she said, Flat out, I am not above bribery. It, it works. It really does. And the other thing about being a project manager is that you play so many different roles um, throughout the life of a project. And so a lot of times you play an enforcer. Um, you can be an entertainer for your team, a motivator for your team. Um, sometimes you have to be a you know, delegator, a cheerleader. You have to be able to listen to people's, you know, sometimes their personal problems in order to get them you know, moving throughout their day. Um, because ultimately, you, your, your job is to move the project ahead. And so whatever, you, whatever skills that you have, you need to use them to the fullest. And you guys actually work together at the same agency right now. Have you always, have you been working together for a long time or? No, but it feels like it. (laughs) (laughs) We've been working together for a little bit more than a year and we have Mm -hmm. very um, complementary skills. And um, yeah, so I find that, um, you know, I learn a lot from Krista. She's got a slightly different way of doing things than I do. And so, um, you know, we're just both learning a lot from each other. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, so what what are the sorts of projects that you guys work on? Um, so our agency, you know, we work on everything from building custom apps This that might just be for um, a company's internal use. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might never, so consumers might never see them. Um, we also build a lot of like custom websites also that could be a tool for a company's internal use. Um, but we also do build things that, um, you know, the just the day-to-day public would see, websites, um, other applications. Yeah, we do uh, technical consulting. We do app development, um, application support once an application goes live. Uh, We do digital content production. We're involved in QA. We review analytics. Uh, What else? Part of pretty much the whole phases of every project, so from beginning to end post-launch. So that's what we do together at our agency. Um, Individually, we're also involved in other projects that make us passionate. Like I still <laughs> love planning events, so if I find the time outside of my work week, oh wow, <laughs> I will do. You know, I will um, do that. I we're both uh, we're runners, so mm-hmm. Alita likes to volunteer at events, yeah. uh, running events. Um, we did Hood to Coast this year, and Krista was the team captain. She actually won us um, an entry um, through applying, you know, via social media. And so she put together like this whole great plan for us, and kind of just led us through the entire process. And that's when really having a project manager on your team is really valuable. You know, there's milestones, there's dates, there's deadlines, and yeah, it was great. So the project management doesn't end when you guys leave the office. Absolutely not. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't. No. Um, although when I go on vacation. I try not to. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Keyword try. Yeah. <laughs> so can you, I, I think that what we're going to do today is basically sort of walk through the project management process um, one step at a time. And we are probably not going to get through the whole process in one episode. So this will be a two-parter. And um, we're just going to sort of start at the beginning and gain as much insights as we can from you guys in in the process of project management. So let's start at the beginning and sort of talk about what do you do first at the, you know, once the project is won, I guess. So one thing is about all agencies is they all follow um, kind of a loose process, somewhat like this. So the names of the individual phases might be a little bit different, but basically what's achieved during them 
is virtually the same no matter where you work. If it's a you're working client side or you're working at an agency, it's it's all basically the same. Um, so um, a lot of times project managers don't just come in when the, once the business has been won. A lot of times we might be involved in scoping, you know, or responding to an RFP. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really great to bring in a project manager before the the project has been won um, because we might be able to help or provide some valuable insight um, as to you know either scheduling or adding some type of value you know, in that process. So, yeah. That makes sense. You know, a a project is a lot like kind of like dating, especially in those initial um, phases. Um, A lot of times clients, they they know that they're going to sign with you, but they want to see some, you know, some action at the very beginning. Um, So they might ask for some project plans. They might ask for some type of something that shows that you actually know what you're doing instead of being like, hey, you know, let's let's try this out for the first time. So um, they might ask for a work back schedule, a project plan, um, a deliverable schedule or something around along those lines. Or even spec work, too. Uh, We've gone through that process before. Um, but yeah, you said something really cool about that whole dating thing at the beginning. <laughs> um, we're very fortunate where us as project managers, where we're currently at, we, I think, get brought in earlier in the process. So that helps. Uh, we've both worked at places where that's not always the case. And you're kind of just handed an SOW and said, OK, have fun. Figure it out. Business development and sales, is we're done. We did our job. It's all you now. How, yeah. to, how to figure out to decipher what is the um, you know elusive SOW that can be taken out of context at any point of the project. Um, so going back to what I said, where, how we're involved in the beginning, I think really helps us lay that groundwork and that trust with the clients that we do work with and really sets the tone for a super successful project. So you're ever there in like a pitch meeting um, as part of the pitch process? Yes. 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 Okay. And it's a great because generally the person on the client side, a lot of times is not the person that you're going to be working with during the project, but it makes it a lot smoother is if you have your internal team, you know, in the pitch process or at the very beginning because they kind of get introduced to the client and it's a more seamless handoff instead of like, you know, here is team A passing off to team B on both sides. And that gets really awkward because it's kind of like playing telephone. A lot of things get lost and, you know, or you're trying to, you know, if a project goes long, you're trying to remember back to those first couple of like meetings. And although you have notes, sometimes things do get lost. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's to the benefit of both parties to have people brought in as early as possible. And then, I love how you said that, um, our, <laughs> the teams that you work with later in the phase kind of have a, a, another uh, aspect of trust. Like, oh, yeah, you were there. Because the project manager is often looked at as like you're on my team from a developer perspective. So if they, they feel a little bit more sense of ease if they knew that you were part of the whole pitch process with the sales team. Yeah. Well, it's because we have their back. So, you know, we're like, we're not, we're, we're in, we're trying to ensure that everything in the project goes as smoothly as possible and that there's nothing, that basically the, the team is not being set up for failure. So we're trying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always happen, but we definitely try. Always so. our intent. Yeah. So at the beginning of the project, you know, we start what we, you know, the planning phase, you know, all agencies go through this. And so we start to identify what is it that we are truly building? What is it that the client thinks that they need? Um, what is the expertise that we, we as the team bring to it? So we, a lot of times a client thinks that they want one thing and we might be able to say, no, you know, actually based on what you're saying, we kind of, you know, we recommend this. And a lot of times our clients actually agree with us um, and we might be able to, um, you know, just meet their needs a little bit better or they didn't even know something existed. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We also, we also, (laughs) as producers always talk about, do you have your content? 
Is your content ready? Right, right. <laughs> so that and that's something that comes up very early, I imagine, is sort of the 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 how content is going to be managed. And now, do you usually manage content? To, I mean, you must manage content to a certain extent, even if the client wants to produce it all. How do I mean? How does that conversation happen early on in the process? Oh wow, yeah. Um, I'm like. Where do I want to go with this? It's, I'm so passionate about content and laying it out on the table right when you first meet your client that it's almost to a point where I have to hold myself back. I'm like a hummingbird, right? Because um, um, it's very overwhelming and it's scary for some. So I try to just break it out in chunks personally and we get a good read on our client or person who's our point of contact or perhaps the subject matter expert. And we figure out, is a workshop with them good? Um, should we do some sort of card sorting exercises? Should we really just go ahead and scare them and tell them, hey, uh, content takes X, with a formula, takes X amount of hours to actually produce. Um, we go in there and we ask them if they need help. You know, we have experts to, that work with us that are um, digital copywriters, perhaps, like just because I have a great story, actually. Um, so, <laughs> a funny one. Um, so I went through a web project where I kept asking, you know, where's your content? Where's your content? Um, and they said, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We promise. And, you know, trying everything. I'm like, we have copywriters. I can help you. Um, here's your plan. Here's the content delivery plan. Everything you could think of just throwing at them. And they came back to me and said, um, I was on my high school journalism team. I think I can figure out how to write content. So to turn this long story into something shorter, we delayed the project by a month because of this. And uh, that content, those content conversations up front help with that. And if we just get it all out on the table now of like, who's responsible for what? What are your roles and responsibilities? Where can we help you? What do you have to deliver? Then it makes the whole thing much smoother. I've seen bad things happen when people don't take content very serious. Yeah, and I mean, at least in our experience here at Murmur Creative, very often it seems like clients underestimate the amount of work that content is. Is there anything that you sort of do to sort of scare clients into understanding how big the content process can be? Well, a lot of times it depends. Is it a brand new website or is it, are you just reskinning an existing website and they want to kind of refresh content or something like that? So depending on what kind of project it is, you have two different ways that you go about it. Um, a lot of times just finding out who, you know, what their schedule looks like. A lot of times they don't have a schedule. And so that's, uh, that's a great first question. Um, who's, and if they do have a schedule, who's on the review board and who's going to be producing and reviewing and who's, who's signing off and at what point in our, because, you know, as you're going into the planning phase, you need to have some kind of an idea of how long everything is going to take mm -hmm. and because clients always want to know when are we going to launch you know and so at that point you can start to fold in their timeline into your own so they can see and we definitely um, recommend that content be delivered you know before you're into design because you know we can get to that later but um, yeah so years ago content was not a big deal like people were just designing and creating without really having content in mind but as you know time has gone on and you know there's just there's so much more in the digital sphere there's you know there's Twitter there's Facebook and everything like that and so how do you attract somebody's attention how do you keep them on your website when pretty much the average person has the attention span of a gnat yeah but you I mean you asked a question that kind of touched on sometimes we may own the content sometimes we don't so to bring it back as we could spend all day mm -hmm. talking about content um to bring it back to more of a from a 
producer lens, uh, I find it, you know, my personal responsibility just to talk about the process with them, whether we own it or not. Um, like I said, clearly defining roles and, and um, responsibilities as well. Who's wearing what hat? Um, can I help them with their schedule? Can I help them with their internal process? I even ask them questions like, what are your stakeholders like that actually have to approve the content? And, and try and get a feel of um, what my primary clients' like feelings may be about their boss or their stakeholder. Because mm -hmm. if they're buddies with them, then it's easier, right? If they're scared, then maybe I can give you some tips and tricks to make you look good. Yeah, That's kind of where I'm, I'm your cheerleader in the background. Like, let me give you some things that work for me that may work to keep this um, a well-oiled machine pushing through the content process. Gotcha. Oh, by the way, you guys are sort of using um, project management and producer interchangeably. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've noticed that in the creative agency world that there's, you know, producers and project managers is a common term for the same role. Is there any difference in, in your mind or one that you prefer better than the other? This question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in our world of project management, uh, we often talk about this like in our, our digital PDX PM shout out. Um, a project manager sometimes is looked at as like, I shift around emails and I shift around calendars. And check boxes. And I check everything off the to-do list, where I think when people own the title producer, we're really part of strategy. We're part of account management. One day we could be your QA person. The other day we're um, you know, in your CMS figuring out some sort of simple HTML that we didn't have to bother a developer with. So. Mm -hmm. Um, when we use the term producer, I think it's trying to capture that array of all the things that we love and know to do or know how to do. Okay, cool. I like it. Okay, let's say we've won the business. Um, what is what is the the first step? Are we creating a timeline? Um, so we do. We need to fully flesh out that SOW and make sure that you know we've aligned it with client expectations. And in past positions I've held, like I've seen it blow up you know, horribly. And so you really need to have a very well-defined SOW of exactly what it is that you're delivering, kind of lay out your company's process, um, definition of terms, you know, understanding um, different deliverables and making sure that the client really understands that. Um, it, it's, it's really hard. I was actually at a meeting this morning and, um, you know, we are at the end of the project and we were actually looking at the SOW because there was some kind of, there was a bit of confusion. You know, they understood a term to mean one thing, we understand it to be in, mean another. So so you have to have, be really, really clear. How many rounds of review are you going to go for design for wireframes? You know who's hosting this product. Um, you know what does launch look like? What does QA look like? And it really, really be nailed down on that because if you're not, it will come to bite you in the ass in the end. And so you basically have sort of dictionary of like web terms or something like that. I, I guess explain that a little bit okay. more. Yeah. So you want to define everything as well as you can. You know, what is what does content strategy mean? What do we mean by um, wireframes? Because a lot of times clients don't want to look stupid. And yeah. so a lot of times they'll yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll nod your head, they'll nod their head. But when it comes down to it and their boss is like, Why can't we change this? Why do we have a change order? They're like they will inadvertently try to, you know, find an out for it so that they don't look stupid in front of their boss or their stakeholders. Um, so, but yeah, you need to define things as, as well as you can. And then sometimes I've seen SOWs that define um, timeline. Like if we don't get content by a certain time, if we don't get digital assets by this, it could delay a launch. Yes, currently where we're at, where we work together, we actually have a definition of deliverables, uh, kind of cheat sheet mm -hmm. uh, that we'll pull out. It's in our back pocket to, um, in our one-on-one -on -one status meetings. 
Um, I don't think it's necessarily something that we would pull out into a major kickoff. I have yet to do it. It's more of a one-on-one time with my my point of contact, so our weekly status meeting, just to make sure that we're clear on on items. Another thing that we're huge fans of that we love to do, uh, but you don't always get to do with a project, is actually have a, a insights and planning phase that's paid for and that you work with the client together to define the statement of work for the next phases. Right, right. The thing that SOW really does is uh, helps avoid scope creep. As an agency, you definitely want to be a good partner for your clients, um, especially if they're ongoing client relationships. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the agencies, especially in Portland, you know, they're small agencies. And so you start looking at scope creep over the length of, you know, a couple of years or a couple of big projects. And that eats up, you know, it's a lot of agency hours there and can, you know, possibly turn it into a very unprofitable project. I know some creative agencies will do a separate will do a separate like technical document. Do you do that as well? Or is that all rolled in, into the statement of work? We do like some technical discovery. Maybe you haven't decided what platform you're going to build this in. Is it going to be a native app or is it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So in my opinion, I think it's better to go maybe to have some of the technical information in the SOW, but I feel like you really need to spend a little bit of time defining um, later down the line what it is that you're building and what are the different, all the details about it. Gotcha. Yeah, I have yet to only actually had, I guess, I would consider it being fortunate uh, to work on one project where we broke it out um, into actual three different phases with three different SOWs. And there was a, the technical deliverable, which then would kick off the technical phase with a very defined um, parameters of you know what what's in scope and what's not in that realm. Um, I think oftentimes we work personally. We work with clients that they know they want a website, but they're that they don't do that. They don't live it and breathe it every single day. So there's a lot of gray area in the technical portion of the upfront SOW, and that is where we see our change orders yeah. come in a lot. And there's and there's certain features that in order to make it work on certain th- things has to be like, is it going to be is this one component going to be written in PHP and the rest of it's going to be in JavaScript because it matches the other parts of the website or, or it matches the, you know, parent company's website or something like that. So, um, and some of that stuff, you know, your just your average, you know, client, you know, stakeholder might not know. So. Right, right, <laughs> totally. Yeah, that, that reminds me of something where you have a, a client that goes rogue, right? They have their, their website project and they, they forget to bring in their corporate IT team. have <laughs> never seen that. No. <laughs> you know, and you, as a producer, you're in the back and like, hey, do we have to involve IT? Hey, has, you know, but yeah, I mean, I've been through a situation where, hey, by the way, we forgot to bring in corporate IT and the CMS that you suggested and the hosting solution you suggested is not approved. Oh, wow. Well, especially anything like with the, uh, you know, security concerns. You know, there, a lot of companies, it's just not an option, you know, that they have, you know, technical, you know, security laid out. And it's maybe it, your stakeholder didn't know about it. But, you know, you suddenly in the middle of your project, you have to pivot and adhere to that. So make sure you get IT on board early. Everybody on board early. <laughs> <laughs> At least to be heard. We don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so we're, we've got the you know the SOW, the statement of work. You know we've got as as much in it as we can to avoid scope creep. Do you do like a kickoff meeting? Oh yeah, we usually have large kickoff meetings where you know you start you meet everybody who's going to be involved in the project and on both sides. You know it's usually a pretty lengthy meeting. I've seen them go actually all day, um, sometimes multiple days. Um, I think the shortest one I've ever been a part of was maybe a four hour. 
and you just kind of lay everything out on the table, you know, start looking, you, we always go over the SOW, we go over what the client has asked us to do. Um, they start talking about some of their research. We start talking about deliverables, um, things that they like, they don't like. Um, Krista? Yeah, uh, our kickoffs are, I, I like them. I, I mean, I think you could always re-envision them or redo them, um, but you kind of rely heavily on your salespeople and biz dev people to understand, okay, so who are these, players and who are the stakeholders and what are they like when you took them out for cocktails to win the business what did they tell you like what could how could we structure the kickoff to be a really productive mm-hmm. and be not awkward right yeah <laughs> so uh, i've done kickoffs where we play a game where we put down what are our hopes and dreams for this whole relationship we're getting into for the next year what are our fears and that's probably actually been one of my favorite things to do so uh I took a client through this exercise. The room was packed, and we all wrote down and post-it, and we put them up on our big erase, dry erase board wall. And then at the end, I circled them all and clumped them all together and started like making some metrics and data out of it. And then when we did our retro with the client, we brought the information back up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one fun tip of how we do kickoffs. And then other ones um, where Alita was talking to was very tactical. But you have to read your client. Do they want a kickoff like that? Or do I have a client that just wants to come in and dream? Dream big with maybe the budget they don't have. And then that's a lot of work for a producer at post kickoff, uh-huh. right? To then go in and align expectations and then perhaps set the next meeting, which would be prioritization. <laughs> we heard all of this stuff in kickoff and they're all great ideas. However, remember that SOW? Right. Yep. And a lot of times uh, it's good, actually not a lot of times, all the times it's always good to ask your client, what are the goals of this project? What, you know, And it's amazing when you go around the room to the different people. So you might have somebody from sales, you might have somebody from legal and IT and marketing and, and to hear all of their different responses. And it's interesting because a lot of times they're not the same and they are, they're kind of looking at each other like, oh boy, how are we all going to get, you know, how is this going to achieve all these different goals? Yeah. That, um, that goes the same Two, the way I also like to run a cook-off is I let them, our internal team, so their core project team, have a role. Like, you're not allowed to come into our meeting and, and not have somebody contribute, especially at a kickoff. So if I have the tech lead in there and I have the creative director or even the visual designer as part of it, I make sure they have something to say, even if it's one slide, so that the core team on the client side can remember them throughout the whole process. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... It, it allows people to feel like they have buy-in up front um, and great ideas and then also allows that person to shine when it's their time to shine during that phase. Well, I think it brings it you know, to our ultimate point is that the project process is in, everybody's involved in it and the project belongs to everybody. Everybody has a say in it. So it's just not... Pr- uh, it's not just project managers or producers, uh, but it's really you know people in dev. It's really people in design who are all part of the project and own it. So if they are they don't get brought in until you know it's their time, then they have no stake in it. They have no no excitement for the project because it, you know the, the kickoff meetings are always like the most I think one of the most fun times because oh, yeah. like everybody's super excited. You know, there's no project fatigue. Everybody's like woo. You know, it's <laughs> like it's fun. Um, and so you kind of want everybody to share in that fun. And and you know a lot of times you might be you know later down the line in the project and you're like hey remember that during the kickoff like they said that you know like uh, you know and so it's a good thing to have everybody involved yeah that's um that's brand new kickoff like right when we're all meeting each other and then there's also the kickoffs that you have you do where you have a product or an application together and you're on let's say you're on your fifth project together 
but you still don't want to break the process, right? You still want to have that formal kickoff, even though we all know each other. Right. And I will make my clients go through the same exercises again because it's it's still good. And I at that point, if I'm on a fifth project with somebody, I pretty much know them really well. And I will bring them into then um, the primary stakeholder owning the kickoff with me. So what kind of stuff do they want to present? What kind of stuff do they want to see their other stakeholders um, participate in? And so I'll start building it together with um, with my client if I'm, like I said, if I'm on like a fifth project with them together. Are there any other like exercises besides the sort of fears workshop that you guys do that are really valuable to that kickoff meeting? Kickoff. I mean, like I can think through a bunch of them for UX. <laughs> no, a lot of this, a lot of it for us is like goal setting, and you know, how is the completion of this project going to help you in your day to day life? And it's a great thing to ask a client um, because they're ultimately coming to you to solve a business problem. So, mm-hmm. how is this going to you know? And so, once you can find out what the impact is going to be on the individual, it makes it it makes it personal to you because you're like, I am helping Tracy's, you know, her day run better because she doesn't have to, the website's going to be better and she doesn't have to answer all the stupid questions that come. So, you know, you're like, yeah, like, you know, I'm getting up to help Tracy today, you know? So cool. (laughs) Um, I actually do, as you're talking and thinking a little bit, um, I actually do have another exercise that I've gone through with a client. And um, so with the Home Depot corporate site, it was pretty awesome. We actually did a kickoff where we talked about their competitors and that was like, that's kind of like, ooh, that's scary, right? That's not, you don't usually do that. And then we also did an exercise where we brought in all the things that they like about their competitor sites and all the things that they don't. And it was just out there for us to consume and allowed them, gave them the platform to really, really talk in a safe space um, with their partners, their new digital partners um, on just things they like and don't like. Oh, yeah, or it doesn't even have to be competitors. Just I've had clients who just who it's not even close to their industry, but they're like, hey, we really like this website and it's for a, you know, a rec club in New York City and yeah. they're, you know, doing something completely different. But they're like, we like this about it. You know, we were really blown away. And so it's I think it's it gives you a lot of inspiration and, and also gives you a lot of insight into what the your client is thinking about for the future. So the next next uh, phase for us is generally after the kickoff, then we, we kick off and, you know, we kind of reconvene and, you, you know, the project managers usually got, I don't know what, like eight to, you know, 65 pages of notes, you know, like here are the things that we captured. And um, then you, you know, start setting up your weekly check-ins with your client. Um, you start, you know, kind of working through your project list. You might have to alter your project schedule a little bit, you know, because maybe they need extra time for review on these phases or somebody's going to be on PTO or holidays. You always want to keep holidays in mind and so you start working through that and then we end up in we go into the research um, some companies call it insights and strategy um, you know there's a lot of different terms for it but basically it's the information gathering stage where you a lot of times will do um, user and stakeholder interviews to just find out a little bit more about the business problem that you're trying to solve mm-hmm. um, start talking to other departments, uh, maybe IT and legal at that time, and finding out you know, various pieces of information that they might have. Um, content audits sometimes might happen during um, the research phase. Yeah, it's pretty much off to the races after kickoff. Um, like Alita said, we go straight into research, like she said, insights and strategy or insights of planning. Um, a lot of the common deliverables during this phase are a gigantic strategic deck Lots of brief. Sometimes it can be a document. If you yeah. can roll it all up into like a cool document. Yeah, but decks are cooler. Yeah. <laughs> clients clients, <laughs> clients love, love decks. Love decks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so. Um, so 
What we find that we struggle with is uh, defining the value to certain clients of insights and planning. Because a lot of times they don't understand, like, we, we told you, here's our brand. Like, our brand is, you know, images, and it's um, it's some copy, and, and can't you see, this is us, you know? And you're like, well, this, there's a more of a narrative behind that, and we need to really understand what it is and how far we can push the envelope, and are you just wanting us just to recreate what you already have? Do you want something brand new? Do you really want us to push the bar on that? And so we need to learn a little bit sometimes more about your company, more about your industry, and a lot of times a lot more about your stakeholders and the ultimate users of this this product. Yeah, that's where um, UX kind of starts creeping into because we often get asked, why do you want to talk to our users? Or <laughs> why do you want to interview our stakeholders? And I think there's just a sense of fear that we're going to find out something that they don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's our job. It's okay. Like, we'll listen to that stuff and we'll distill it and present it in our pretty deck um, with the ways that it can be value adds for you and how you can take that information and there's a lot of pleasant surprises that happens in the phase. And sometimes there's not even there's not so any surprises. Right. Um, so a lot of times we might by talking to their users we validate the research the company provided us. And so there's two projects I'm working on right now, and we went back and we're like, hey, this we found this out, and they were like, yeah, you know that that speaks to exactly what what we've been thinking about. And so they kind of get a sense of either if we learn something new that like maybe we need to rethink this, or if we kind of you know, reiterate what they think, then they feel a little bit more comfortable. They're like, yeah, we're on the right lines of like what we're doing. And then the validation too allows them to feel comfortable that uh, we're on their yeah. page. Because we don't live and breathe what they do every single day and vice versa. But if we have that time, the dedicated research time to then catch up to them and speak their language, especially when it comes to vernacular, um, or corporate speak, yeah. you know, yeah. you have to learn something new. Um, it just gives us that time to really get on the same page. So then if we have to go present to their boss or other stakeholders that are not day-to-day in the project, then we, it sounds like we know what we're talking about. So that's always really helpful. Sometimes it can be, sorry, um, sometimes it can be a frustrating time for clients because it's they don't get to see anything pretty, you know? It's just right. like it's a bunch of meetings and we're asking them lots of questions and sometimes we might ask them the same question multiple times, you know? But yeah, so sometimes there can be a little bit of frustration on the client side. And I think that's when preparing, you know, the summary of your finding, findings, whether it's a deck or it's a document or something like that, to be like, we have been working on things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good point the, that there's, in this phase, there's a lot of question asking. And I always try to remind um, my team and or the team and the client team that, you know, true leadership is asking questions, not just assuming that we know everything. And there's going to be a shift, a huge pivot where we're going to stop asking questions and they're going to start asking us more questions. So that's going to come later on in our project together. That makes sense. Um, so all these things, are you guys doing all these things? So the interviews and the research or, the, or is some of that delegated to other people? I personally, a lot of times UX will do the the interviews. I personally love to do them because I love to find out more about people. And so a lot of times the UX person and I will tag team them or I'll sit in on them, ultimately trying to lead them because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I love being best friends with uh, my UX person. So uh, yeah, it depends. I mean, what's the budget like? First, you got to go back. Like how many hours do we have to play with right. to really, I mean, can we do a full-blown survey? Um, or are we only allowed to talk to four people? Right. Uh, so I get a read on that. And then if we have budget for two of us to be part of it, awesome. If we have budget for me to invite a developer to hear, mm-hmm. even better. Yeah. Uh, but I've gotten feedback that our design team and our 
development team love to be a part of these user interviews mm -hmm. or this phase. Maybe they don't actually have a strong role or a deliverable per se, but just being upfront or in that front part and understanding what what drives um, decisions that affect them later, later on is super valuable. So even if, and this is where we're very fortunate where we're working now, even if we don't have the budget, we'll invest in allowing a designer or a developer to join a couple of sessions just as training. Because nice. we actually find that Front-loading that saves us t uh, time and money later on. Well, and like our, a lot of times our, our interviews are not long. You know, they're 15, they're very, you know, targeted. You know, it's like 10 to 15 minutes. You know, sometimes I've had users who want to talk, you know, an hour. Um, but yeah, usually pretty short. So it's not a huge investment in time. So, and definitely worth it. Cool. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about content and the content process and how you prepare for that. I know there's a lot involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot of times we, um, might see that at depending on the client, depending on where the, what kind of project it is, generally we'll start seeing that at the end of the research and the beginning of kind of the UX phase of the project. Um, because it does take a long time, you definitely don't want to wait until you're, you know, at the end of UX before you start having that conversation with them. Uh, most clients are, aren't prepared for how much work that they need to put into it, I think what you, you said earlier. Um, so this generally is kind of, um, is a whole separate meeting with a client. They, at that point, they might bring in some of their writers or some of their editors, or if they have a freelancer working for them or something like, you know, along those lines. Um, they generally have you know, some idea of what they wanna do, whether it's reskinning a website or it's creating brand new content. Um, a lot of times, even if you're reskinning a website, they still want to refresh, they call it refreshing the content. Um, a lot of times it just means a full rewrite. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're sort of, we have that sort of relationship with the word refresh, you know, refresh means we want it cheap, not necessarily it's any less work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so at that point, we invite them in, or we might go to their office, and we try to do a lot for a, a good amount of time because there's a lot to talk about. And as a project manager, a lot of times you're just there to kind of guide the conversation, as they have they will you know kind of spend that time you know talking amongst amongst themselves about you know different things that either have been brought up by um, their stakeholders, their audience. Um, you know, so you, you kind of have to allow them that natural organic time to kind of, you know, discover what it is, that, which direction they want to go, how they want to flesh out their content, what content they need. But yeah, you're, you're there to, as the role of the advisor, I think, a little bit more. Yeah, which uh, reminds me that we wanted to talk about content audits. I think that's something that's very, uh, a producer or PM sometimes owns, if, especially if you don't have an in-house content strategy team. Mm -hmm. It's something that I personally love doing. And one of the tools I like using um, is the CAT. Um, it's content. I have wrote it down somewhere. But um, I just know that it's like bookmarked, you know, so you just go to CAT and it helps you export uh, clients, like already existing site, and kind of organize their content so that you can go ahead and proceed to a more streamlined audit. Now, you don't want to present the whole gnarly spreadsheet to them, but you want to break it off and, and just show like, here's where we're seeing this and and, and then also marry that to analytics. Mm -hmm. um, if you have access to their analytics right. or they can share that with you prior to you doing a redesign. Um, obviously, if it's a brand new site, then you're just going through a whole, all right, what is, it? let's take 10,000 steps back and determine like, what is our goal with this whole project? And then what is our goal with 
the client or the content and start from scratch, basically. So CAD is like a crawling software. Is it bringing in um, actual copy or just sort of metadata from the website? Well, um, you can pay. Are you familiar with it? N- I don't think I, I am. Um, so I just use the free trial because... You know, I'm not, I am not a paid content strategist, although that would be really fun. Um, so currently right now, you know, I'm just using the free trial just to get me the base level data, but you can upgrade your membership or your subscription to then get more out of it. And mm-hmm. it will um, scrape the actual images or um, I think you can even go as far as like what alt tags your, your clients are using. Mm-hmm. And this stuff is important. Like, let's say you got into a project with the client that they're not even using alt tags. So then now you have a whole nother issue or opportunity to talk right. about why are these important? Why is why are alt tags necessary with accessibility? And why do you need to treat an alt tag as just as the way you treat your main body copy content? Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to start having that those conversations. Yeah, at this point, there's a, there's a lot of different tools that you can use. Um, search logs. So if they have a search f- functionality within their website, what is it that people are searching for and they're not getting any results for? Or um, looking at the Google Analytics or what other analytical tool to see which pages have the highest uh, you know amount of visitor views or like which pa- which pages have the highest bounce? Because um, a lot of times they think that they know their audience really well, but you know you can't really argue with analytics unless well I guess it's set up incorrectly. But um, there's also also a lot of other tools like uh, readabilityscore.com. And so you can actually put a URL in. Um, once again, it's one of those tools that has a free version and a paid version. But um, you can put in the URL and it will actually like grade your content. And so, um, you know, based on what your audience is. So if you're in academics, obviously, um, that audience is going to be a little bit different than if, you know, you have, I don't know, a different kind of site where maybe your audience is more general. And so you want to make sure that you're writing for your content matches what your audience, you know, reads at. So you don't want to be like pre- presenting academic level content to an audience that maybe is reading at like a sixth grade level. Mm-hmm. So, and then when in doubt, you know, always wanting to have your content be, you know, as easy to read as possible, you know. Sure, you can add like the cool word, you know, that makes you sound smart, but, you know, just serve up the content in, in you know, its, its most simplest form so that they can easily digest it and walk away because once again, people have the attention span of a gnat. Right. Yeah, we just started doing um, content audits ourselves. Um, we use Screaming Frog to get the sort of metadata and like titles and meta descriptions and stuff like that. And then we sort of just go page per page, sort of writing notes about the content that's on each page. Our idea is that eventually, uh, I don't even know if we've done this, but actually validate the content with the client, sort of get an idea of whether this content is being kept or, or going away. Mm-hmm. Or, um, how, how do you guys use, and is it that much different, um, your content audits? No, it's actually not that much different, uh, what you're saying. One of the things we love noticing is, did you realize that this piece of content's in your site for other locations? Yeah. <laughs> right? That's very common. And then you, you couple it with, if you have an analytics person in-house, it's great. Or if you don't, then you can use, you know, tools like, um, I love using the SEO Moz bar or... Mm-hmm. Um, the Google Analytics bar, your Chrome plugin, allows you to see um, who's accessing what. So then you could say, hey, we saw this piece of content in four different areas of the site. Um, this may probably have happened because four different people were contributing to your site over time. Um, coupled with this data, we see that it's probably best served here and only here. Um, so what do you want to do with the other three areas of this site or the mm-hmm. content on the site? Um, so that's kind of 
it aligns with what you just kind of teed up. Uh, it's a lengthy process. It's one that I suggest you don't skip. Yeah. Uh, e- even if you had a content strategist doing this, it's nice to have in our role as a producer or PM to be in there with it to even just review and be on the same page in that presentation because you're going to present to the client and, and do a workshop uh, over what to prioritize or what to get rid of, what to, you know, how are we going to build out our site map. So at least we know um, how what, what our content person is talking about or we are in charge of presenting it and we know what we're talking about. The other thing too to consider when you're doing a content um, audit is the level of effort. So if they're keeping this, you know, it's a big pain and they're asked to keep this content refreshed and they're, you know, constantly having to go into it, you know, is how many, you, that's when your analytics come in and can really help you help your client is like, you're spending, you know, two hours a week or whatever that is. And you have like almost no visitors to this. Is it really worth it? Like, right. are you guys keeping it for your own internal use or is, you know, is it like a tool for your salespeople or, or whomever um, or, you know, cause a lot of times you can just scrap that and then, you know, you just freed up, you know, two hours of Stacy's day and she's excited, you know? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, another tool that we use um, in content is gather content. So at, at a point where they might want to, um, either start because you can import content into it and they can also create content within it. And it's really great because for clients that are really visual, it can help them create like the site map because you can set up all the different pages and then they can start and you can put in fields with um, what type of content should live in there. Is it an image? Is it, you know, a checkbox, you know, for something? Um, Is it some type of form or is it just straight content, you know, text? Um, and then they can go and you know create the content with other team members. You can assign roles. Once they're done with this piece of content, then they can you know uh, set up a custom workflow so that um, once they're done with their piece or they want somebody to edit it, they can um, trigger that that workflow. And um, as personally, I'm I'm a big fan of it because it makes my job a lot easier. It makes our QA guy's job a lot easier because he can go in and he can look at it and he's like, this is the finalized content, so. Yeah. Yeah. We use gather content. It's great. Um, we used word docs before that and it was a pain in the butt. Yeah. I was going to say the days of track changes are over (laughs) and version control. If you have not heard of gather content, please. I'm like a gather content evangelist. They even put out great, fantastic free webinars that are actually relevant and not salesy. There was one, I, Krista and I were sitting in, and it was, I think it was like, what, four hours long? I mean, it was really it was long. Two. Okay, it was two hours long, but it felt like four hours because, you know, it was long. But um, it was very, very helpful. But they were like, you know, if your client doesn't provide you with content and you go into design and they're like, they want to, rather than show them like Greek, you know, you can put in their um, competitor's content. You will get, and they were like, you'll get content after that. And Krista and I were sitting in, the, and we're like, our minds are blown. Like, this is like, most genius idea ever so simple like it doesn't cost you anything but yeah, yeah. just dumping the competitors yeah. content yeah yeah you'll get your client on you'll get turnaround so fast that's funny yeah, yeah we our content strategist has has gone through a couple of those different webinars through gather content they're they're great i mean they share everything with you too after the the seminar is over they send you all the slides all of the resources and um so for us it's been fantastic for team members who maybe couldn't have joined that particular one they i mean they can follow along so easily they really know what they're doing and not that this is like a plug for their product or anything but a testimonial from our clients that have actually had to upload their content in there um i've gotten really great feedback with oh wow that was actually easy to use 
oh, wow, this is actually nice, and I don't have to worry about version control and track changes. Um, so it's been fantastic. And when you look at you know what you're laying out financially to what you're getting, it's it definitely worth it. Awesome. All right, you guys. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Um, this has been the first half of this talk. So if you tune in and listen to the following episode, we'll get even deeper into we'll get deeper into the project management process. Um, we'll talk about UI UX and design and development and all sorts of good stuff. So um, stay tuned. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the digital strategy director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.